1: Hello Power Persuaders, this is Kurt Mortensen, welcome to podcast episode 189 of Maximize Your Influence. I am doing this in Dubai, great place in the world, I'm doing some book promotion with Laws of charisma and Maxim Influence, doing some seminars over here, eating some great food, meeting some great people, and having a lot of fun, I'll let you know more about that, but this week we've got a great interview for you, John Gordon, leadership expert, i just finished an interview it was really great good information take some notes on changes in leadership and how to get people to buy into your vision be more influential key factors to your success so let's go to the interview with john we have a special guest interview with john gordon welcome john Kurt, great to be with you oh it's good to have you let's give the listeners a little bio about john uh, John's best-selling books and talks have inspired readers and audiences around the world. His principles have been put into test by numerous NFL, NBA, NLB coaches and teams, Fortune 500 companies, school districts, hospitals, and nonprofit organizations. He's the author of numerous best-selling books, including The Energy Bus, The Carpenter, Training Camp, The Seed, You Win in the Locker Room First, and No Complaining Rule. We all need that one. John S. Tips has featured in today's show, CNN, CNBC, the Golf Channel, Fox & Friends, and numerous magazines and newspapers. His clients include Los Angeles Dodgers, Atlanta Falcons, Campbell Soup, Dale Public, Southwest Airlines, LA Clippers, Miami Heat, Pittsburgh Pirates, Clemson Football, Northwestern Mutual, Bayer, West Point Academy, and more. Plenty of credibility there. Good stuff to have. Let's just start it off. I don't know where this came from, but our tradition here on the show is to ask all of the people we interview is, Probably the most important question ever. What is the worst vegetable on the planet and why?
0: <laughs> the worst vegetable ever. Okay. You know, I would say spinach, but only because cream spinach was something I was forced to eat as a child and it just made me sick. I like spinach now to this day, but cream spinach like ugh. The worst. Yeah,
1: you take something that's bad and you make it worse. Yeah, that just kind of gave me some chills, too. The forced cream spinach, it's the look, too, the green, gooey mass.
0: Uh, and and the texture. My dad yeah. said, if you don't eat this, oh, you're I not going to bed. You're staying yeah, at the table yeah. until you eat that with your liver. I
1: had that, too. <laughs> wow. Well, so we increasing the emotional scars with our listener, but let's get started and, <laughs> and talk about, I mean, your background with leadership and all that you've done. One of the things we do on the show is we always have a persuasion blunder. What is the greatest unknown blunder or mistake that leaders make that maybe that they're committing all the time and they don't know and it's it's sabotaging them as a leader? What would you identify there?
0: Well, one of the greatest mistakes leaders make is that they – don't deal with the negativity that exists on their team. And if they do try to deal with it, a lot of times they do it in a negative way. And I often say, don't be negative about negativity. When you are, you're only contributing to it in in a negative way. And so you do have to confront negativity that exists as a leader. You have to deal with it within yourself. You have to deal with it within your leadership team and you have to address it. And the goal is to transform it. You do so to try to transform it first and foremost. If that doesn't work, then you may have to remove move it but most leaders don't like to address negativity so it breeds and grows and then winds up sabotaging the, the team and the organization
1: Ah, so the negativity so you mentioned that it could be the leaders negativity or the team's negativity or both
0: sometimes it's the leaders negativity so they don't realize it's them they think it's the team so they never do any kind of 360 assessment or feedback they don't deal with it within themselves and the team is going hey our leaders are an energy vampire, and the worst is when the leader gives them my book, The Energy Bus, and says, here, read this, which is about energy vampires. So then they wind up hating the book, hating their leader for having to read it, and then they hate me for writing it when that was never the intention. So, so it's really about looking in the mirror first yourself and saying, okay, maybe I need to be a better leader, and as I start to address these issues – Then I'll transform them in a positive way. We have an exercise in one of our trainings where we do a love letter to an energy vampire where you actually write a letter of encouragement to an energy vampire on your team, someone that may be driving you nuts, but you find the good in them. You give them that letter, and we had – A manager recently report back to us. They did that. She had a great conversation with her direct report. It was about a two-hour conversation, transformed their relationship, and it completely transformed her leadership style now going forward by doing that exercise.
1: Mm, Great point. So are you saying if the leader's negative and they pretend to put on that smile, pretend to be positive, nobody's buying it?
0: No one's buying it because we know real and we know real positive. There's something I call false positive, and we know when someone is real, sincere, authentic. And I know you read about a lot, you know, charisma being, you know, persuasive. Well, if you want to be persuasive, if you want to have that charisma, it has to be authentic. It has to come from your heart and the core of who you are. So when I talk about the power of positive leadership, my latest book, for instance, I'm not talking about Pollyanna positive, I'm talking about real positivity. And this doesn't mean you have to be jumping off the walls, bouncing off the walls, high energy. You can be very introverted and still be a great positive leader.
1: I like that authentic, genuine. That's important. People see right through it, and just because they're not calling you out on it, doesn't mean they're not feeling it. So another thing you said with the great leaders, you have for great leaders to win, you must win with people. So what what are the elements there as far as really winning them? Is that winning them over? Is it <laughs> hearts or minds? All of the above.
0: Well, no one creates success alone, right? We all need a team to be successful. And if you're way out ahead in front of your team and they're way behind you, then they're really not a leader because a leader walks with their people. They talk to their people. They don't talk down to them. They talk with them and walk with them. So you have to win with your people, and that starts with the relationship that you Build with them, you invest in them. There are several C's that I talk about in doing this. I wrote about this, and you win in the locker room first. So you got to communicate, you got to connect, you got to commit, and you got to care. So communication builds trust. Connection is where that trust is. Is developed and strengthened the bond is created and then commitment is where I'm committed to you I'm here for your growth and I'm willing to serve and sacrifice a piece of me to help you get better and then I show you that I care and if you do those key things it's so simple those people when you lead with love I call that leading with love they will follow with passion
1: yeah, that's a great point I get this question too I think it's important you, you talked about connecting and having that relationship and the people skills, is that something that's just natural to people or can that really be learned? Some are
0: obviously better with it than others, right? We all have different skill sets and some leaders are naturally more able to connect with others. Some attract people more to them. I mean, Dabo Sweeney, coach of Clemson, i worked with him for five years, loves people and people are just drawn to him. So there are certain leaders that are great at it and are better at it, but you can learn it. You can. Make time to connect. You can slow down and do some simple little things to connect with people. For instance, I call it love, serving, care. Love, serving, and care. And, you know, love is not often talked about in the business world, right? But love is basically, okay, you know, I'm here for you. How can I help you? You know, I care about you. It's all those things. So you really show someone you love them. You're here to you serve them. Hey, what are you working on? How can I help you? How can I help you grow? What's your vision? Okay, how can I help you achieve it? And then how do you show you care on a daily basis? We all have a caring trademark, I believe. Every one of us has a a certain unique way that shows that we care about others. And when you put those three things together, that's the magic formula for developing those relationships.
1: Yeah, I agree 100%. I mean when people know that you care and you're developing that relationship, it really opens up the door to influence and leadership. But here's an intriguing question for you. As you've looked around and done your research, and you might not be able to answer this, or maybe there's multiple, who who would you peg as the greatest example of leadership of all time?
0: The greatest leadership of all time has to be Jesus. I mean, the world keeps time based on his birth. So, And again, I'm not even talking about from a religious standpoint. Whatever religion you are, I honor everyone's religion and their faith. But you have to understand that he took 12 people, 12 incompetent people, and was able to... Transformed the world, and people, billions now follow him, because of what those twelve did, because of his leadership. And so, what did he do? He invested in the twelve. He served and sacrificed for them. Developed relationships with them. Also encouraged them. And he displayed two key characteristics, which are the key to any great leader: love and accountability. Love and accountability are the two that must go together. Because we've been talking about love, right? But Love and accountability means, you know what? Because I care about you, I'm going to challenge you to be your best. And as you become your best, you're going to help us be our best. Now, we're here on a mission. We have a purpose. We have a vision. There are things we have to do with our company, our project, our our organization, whatever it may be. We need you to be great for us, and we need you to be great for your own growth. So a, a leader like that helps someone grow themselves, but love must arrive first. So I call it love tough instead of tough love, that if your team knows you love them, they will allow you to challenge them and push them. I'm going to meet Buzz Williams in a few hours. Buzz Williams is the coach of Virginia Tech already transformed the program at Virginia Tech, had Marquette as a huge winner when he was there. What's his secret? He loves his players so much, invites them over, develops a relationship with them, cares about them, invests in their life skills. He's always here developing them as a people, but he will push you and challenge you to help you grow. And then one other example, Alan Mulally, who Alan Mulally turned around Ford in 2006. They were losing $14 billion dollars had them profitable in a few years. I wrote about him in the book. One of the greatest leadership feats in history. If you said pick a leader besides Jesus, who is a great leader of love and accountability, it would be Alan Mulally also would be one of my, my great choices there.
1: Great examples. I like that. People hate to be held accountable, but when someone knows that they love them and they're stretching them and they're on the same team, that that makes a huge difference. So what have you noticed? And I've noticed with influence and persuasion, a lot of the changes over the last 10, 20 years. Have there been any significant changes in leadership in the last 20 20 years, 10, 20 years that you've noticed?
0: Oh, big time. And what we're seeing now is that the old dictatorial style of leadership no longer works. Millennials are now coming up. Everyone always says, John, how do we lead millennials? How do I deal with these millennials? I say that millennials are making us better leaders. Why? You have to engage them. You have to develop a relationship with them. They won't work for a company or organization that doesn't have a noble purpose. So you have to have a purpose for what you're doing. You have to have a track for growth and development. You have to have leadership development. All these things make them better, but they also make you better as a leader. You can't just stay in your office anymore and tell people, I told you so. Tom Coughlin, the coach of the Giants at the time, he had to change his leadership style from dictatorial to relationship-oriented. And so that's really the movement where I'm seeing like, even in, you know, I work with a lot with corporate America. I work with a lot of professional college teams. And what you're finding is those who used to be, you know, old school are being phased out or they're put into positions where their knowledge is useful, like a coordinator, but they're no longer the head coach. They bring in a younger coach who's great at developing relationships with the players and they got the coordinators now calling the offense and defense based on their knowledge and wisdom.
1: Let's talk about kind of the opposite here, just switch gears a little bit. You mentioned that positive leaders embrace failure, and that's something, you know, failure, failing, that can always challenge a leader, whether it be their failure or their team's failure. Tell us a little bit more about that, because that's something that uh, we face all the time.
0: Well... Failure is natural, and it's normal, and you're going to fail as an organization. But if you are afraid of failure, you won't be able to succeed. You have to be willing to fail in order to succeed. Now, no one wants to fail, but you have to understand that it's part of the growth process to fail. You have to find ways to mitigate failure, of course. It's not saying, hey, let's go fail, everyone. No, but you have to understand that it's part of the process of growth, and the more your people are afraid of failure, they're not going to take the risk and the chances of becoming great. So, one of the great enemies of, of success is the fear of failure.
1: I agree with that. Fear of failure, fear of criticism, a lot of these things that hold people back. So, as a leader, there was a, just a big, massive failure. Everyone's minds in the oh, in the dirt, I guess we'll call it. How do they recover from that? What's the best way? Are there certain steps to recover from personal failure or corporate failure?
0: Yeah, I mean it's, it's basically leading with vision, saying, okay, this happened here. What do we want now? It's asking the question, what do we not want now? Where do we need to go? And what do we need to do to get there? And so change happened, adversity happened, but you need to be a leader what I call a driver, a driver of positive change who leads your team forward. Even when Clemson lost the national championship two years ago, I'm in the locker room with the team, and there's Dabo, and he comes in. He says, guys, we just didn't make enough plays to be the team as as good as Alabama. I'm so proud of you, though. I've never been more proud of a group of men than I am of you right now. You seniors, you left a legacy that's going to live on for a long, long time. And you underclassmen, get ready because we're coming back. And for 10 minutes, he proceeded to talk about next year. They had just lost a national championship, but he was already pointing them forward towards the future. He wasn't wallowing in what had just happened, pointing the team forward. And I realized that great leaders, that's what they do. Despite the circumstances, regardless of the setbacks, they're always Pointing their teams forward to future success rather than dwelling on failure.
1: I love that whole concept of vision and people buy into that vision and people hear that all the time with getting that vision out. But I've noticed sometimes when a CEO gets up, it's about vision and what's where they're going, what's going to happen at the water cooler 10 minutes later. It's like, yeah, yeah, whatever, flavor of the day is not going to change. Then you have the other CEOs or leaders that have this vision and there's instant buying and they love it. They jumped on board. What is the difference between those two?
0: Trust. You have to develop trust. You have to have the respect of your team and organization. You have to live it out. They have to know that you are committed to the vision. It can't be just a theme or a flavor. Real vision and motivation is driven by real relationships. So you can have the greatest vision in the world, but if you don't have a relationship with people, they're not going to follow you towards the vision. So On one level, you have to be a leader who works with your leadership team. You have to be someone that the organization trusts. And then you also have to have leaders below you who now are sharing their vision with their teams and then asking, how does our vision contribute to the bigger vision? And then each person now has their own personal vision that contributes to the team vision, which contributes to the organizational vision. So I call this making the vision come alive In the organization, through everyone in the organization, it's like years ago. Remember Enron? One of their core values was integrity, right? Mm. Didn't go, didn't go very well. No, because they weren't living them. So if you're living them and there's trust and people see that, then they're going to follow, and that's the difference.
1: That's a huge difference. And I like that you mentioned trust. And I think everyone knows trust is an all-time low. What is a the most specific element of trust you think our listeners can start implementing to get people to trust them more?
0: I think it's to be someone who is trustworthy. <laughs> I, mean, I, just think, I mean, there's no secret formula. It's like, uh, how can I forgive? Forgive in five minutes. The way you trust, it, the way you earn trust is by simply saying what you're going to do and then doing what you say over and over. Trust needs to be earned one leader at a time. I saw a leader at a school district, the superintendent got a standing ovation, even though he announced that there was going to be layoffs, and ten percent of the people in the audience were losing their jobs and yet still got a standing ovation and even the ten percent stood up and clapped they...
1: <laughs> wow, that's impressive if he just got laid off and you give him a standing ovation yes because I'd
0: like to see that. <laughs> he's someone who was so trustworthy and had earned the respect over the years that they knew this guy's for real, so to me, it's saying you know what. I'm gonna be honest, I'm gonna be trustworthy, I'm not gonna lie, I'm gonna say what I need to say and do what I need to do to continually earn that trust. And you know what, when you do, people know if you're real, they know if you're sincere, and they know if, you know, we hear the term, the real deal, whether you're the real deal or not.
1: That's well said, I agree, trust has to be earned, just because you feel you're a trustworthy person, which you need to be, you gotta earn it from others, maintain it, Uh, that's critical.
0: It takes years, years to develop, but it can be lost in one conversation, One action. It's like culture. Culture takes years to develop like a tree, but that tree can be chopped down with one act.
1: Yeah, well said. Great information. What is the one thing we miss? What do our listeners need to know about leadership and being more successful?
0: Well, we already talked about the negativity. They don't deal with the negativity that exists, but I would say that most teams and organizations break down because of poor communication. And so what we're talking about here is if you want to lead effectively, you must communicate effectively. You must create authenticity, transparency, honest, open communication because where there's a void in communication, negativity fills it. So you have to make sure you're always filling that void with great communication.
1: Oh mm, well, love it. Well, thanks, John. Really appreciate it. Where can our listeners find out about, more about you and your books and what you do? They can go to
0: johngordon.com, J-O-N-Gordon.com or Twitter. Instagram at J O N Gordon 11. New book is The Power of Positive Leadership. Write a weekly positive tip every week that, that goes out around the world and then also have written 15 other books.
1: That's a lot of books. Well said. Appreciate your time. Thanks for being here. Hope you love that interview. Good stuff, good information. Remember to visit us at maximizeyourinfluence.com. You can email me your questions, your thoughts, your comments at Kurt at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. We're also on Facebook under Maximize Your Influence. Take the skills you've learned on leadership, apply those, become more influential, and go out and persuade with power.